This is World to Win, bringing you the latest news and analysis from a socialist perspective. Welcome back to World to Win. I'm Toya here with my co-host Yara. We have um, a very important episode today that I know a lot of people are looking forward to, to talk about something that is sad but exciting, revolutionary, empowering. Um, So we have a guest here from Austria, Sarah, who's going to be talking with us about what's going on in Iran. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. Make sure you like the video, comment on it, um, and you can also listen to us on any way that you listen to a podcast. So before we get started, I just want to say hi to Yara. How have you been? I'm good. I mean, uh, there's a little bit of uh, cold going around London that I think I caught. But other than that, uh, I'm good. How about you? Well, I I can't say the same, Yara. My husband finally caught COVID and I still haven't got it. I haven't gotten it. I, I know. I know. It's crazy. We live in the same house, obviously, and I'm, I'm good. So I'm not feeling sick like you today. Um, hope I didn't, hope I didn't jinx myself. Um, but let's get started. So, yeah, I'm sure everyone has seen last month um, Gina Massa Amini, a young Kurdish woman in Iran, was murdered by the morality police. Um, she was arrested for wearing her headscarf improperly um, and she was beaten and died in the hospital um, three days after the incident. And so, you know, this was a terrible terrible act of state violence, which has triggered this uprising, you know, a mass revolt um, on on a scale and depth unseen since the 1979 revolution, which we will be talking about if you're unfamiliar, so don't worry there. Um, And it's, you know, taken the country by storm, you know, almost 100 cities, towns, and villages have participated, um, and it's really shaking the, the regime at its foundations. And so Iran is once again the epicenter of revolution and counter-revolution in the region, Um, you know, even inspiring uh, people in other parts of the Middle East to join in solidarity. Um, One of the phrases, the main phrases that they're using, which is awesome, is women, life, and freedom. Um, It's become, you know, kind of the main slogan of the movement. And it's, it has taken up both the political demands, but also economic demands, which we're going to get into. Um, And so we're seeing, you know, workers take action. We're seeing women take action. We're seeing a huge militant student movement, which is playing a huge role. And more recently, um, the petrochemical workers that have come out on strike. Yara, before we, we, we talk to Sarah, what's what's kind of your take on this? Yeah, I think it's incredible to see. I mean, I feel like uh, something like that in Iran uh, has been kind of uh, overdue (laughs) in a way. Um, I think that like uh, in the region generally, there's been so much tension and frustration underneath the surface, but especially in Iran. Uh, And we are seeing, like you said, like the, the rest of the region is already starting to kind of boil up based on Iran. There's a lot of uh, uh, solidarity demonstration, I think, in Afghanistan and in Iraq as well, which is really inspiring to see. Um, And I think the whole region is like looking to Iran. And I think, you know, uh, especially because that that Iran dictatorship is like the Iranian dictatorship is kind of used a lot uh, as kind of like both uh, like scaremongering for other parts in the the West in particular, um, as kind of like, you know, uh, 
oh, look at the, how conservative and uh, horrible and uh, that's what happens when you don't have capitalism uh, in the sense of like Western capitalism. Uh, but we're seeing that people are revolting now and we're seeing that people disagree with the way that uh, whether the government is acting, which I think is incredible. And, you know, I think it's also particularly interesting to see that because obviously this demonstration started as kind of like, you know, like you said, uh, uh, because of uh, this the, this woman who was uh, killed by the regime because of a hijab, but we are seeing them becoming uh, and like more kind of all encompassing against the regime, which uh, is really really like interesting. I think for us as socialists to see what kind of you know one event can spark generally, not just uh, for the women's movement, although obviously it's incredibly important in this context, but generally against the regime and against the system as well. I think some of the slogans specifically mention the system. So I think this is really fascinating. And you know, like it's it's not unique to Iran. Like we've seen that uh, historically where revolutions were started because of uh, women's revolts and uh, uh, women's rights. But also, you know, recently we're seeing kind of like all sorts of events, like, you know, I can say in Britain, we had the Sarah Everard murder by a policeman uh, uh, during lockdown, which sparked loads of uh, demonstrations around the country. Uh, And I think that these, and and obviously we can't talk enough about Latin America, about, uh, uh, about regions like these that have you know, huge demonstrations and huge, huge mo- movements that grew from uh, fighting against rape, against femicide, that are sparked by this one event and then grow bigger and bigger and can actually bring about change if it's organized correctly. Yeah, I mean, you know, here in the US, we had a, a similar event. We, you know, in our recent memory, the George Floyd rebellion, uh, after he was murdered by the by the police, we saw, you know, a worldwide movement coming out against racism. But what is really exciting to me that I real I'm excited to get into, excited, I'm very excited, um, to get into is the the link that people are making to broader demands. I think that that's so important. It's not just about um, you know, the the right of bodily autonomy for women. They're expanding out the demands. They're expanding out the fight, building solidarity. So I'm really excited to talk about that today. Um, You know, we're going to be discussing the roots of this struggle. We're going to talk about how it's developed, what type of program, what type of strategy that's required to actually bring down this regime and end the exploitation and the oppression. We're also going to look at some of the revolutionary traditions of the Iranian working class, which um, I'm excited for. I know it's not something that I know a ton about, um, so I think that that will be that will be great too. And the lessons that we can use today to bring the movement forward. So, Yar, we've been talking enough. Let's introduce our guest. We have Sarah from Austria. Sarah, how have you been? What what have you been up to? Hi, Toya. Hi, Yara. Uh, thanks. Um, I'm okay. I'm uh, uh, yeah, very busy with obviously like constantly checking <laughs> the news and so on. But also we organized uh, a lot of solidarity protests and actions um, here in Austria with uh, Rosa um, and the ISA. And we're um, now building for some more actions in the next week. So yeah, there's a real solidarity movement here developing as well, which is very important, I think. So. And I, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention, Sarah is a member of the ISA in Austria, um, who's here with us today. So before we we get into the nitty gritty, Sarah, can you clarify, because 
in, you know, in the U.S. and the corporate media, when they're talking about what's going on, they use the name Masa when they're talking about uh, the Kurdish woman that was murdered. But I've also seen her name written as Gina. So can you talk about why that is? Um, yeah, so her uh, real name was Gina and um, she wasn't um, allowed uh, to have this uh, name because it sounds too Kurdish. So um, she had to, you know, um, uh, use the name, a Persian name, which um, is Mahsa. So we always, you know, use the, the Kurdish name also to show that um, obviously this movement is also linked to the massive oppression and discrimination of the Kurdish population, but also many other ethnic, national, religious minorities in the country. I think it's it, it sounds kind of, you know, like an epitome of how oppressive this regime is that she couldn't even use her own name um, because of uh, the way this regime uh, is working. So I think it, it's it's kind of incredible to see how there's also like, you know, solidarity beyond just like, you know, the Kurdish minority that there's, you know, people are fighting together against this regime, which is always, you know, one of the most incredible things I think in, in uh, um, kind of... Uh, uprisings and uh, like this uh, that you see this kind of unity of the working class fighting against an oppressive regime uh, despite of how it's oppressing them in different ways um so i wanted to kind of ask about maybe like an overview of the movement kind of because we're seeing so much about it so can you tell us a bit about how it's developed over the last number of weeks and what what kind of like the key features are yeah Sure, sure. So as you already um, said, this massive uh, movement started after um, Gina's um, killing and it immediately really turned into a movement uh, taking up the fight not only against the mandatory hijab um, and these uh, dress codes and the morality police, but also against you know the entire regime, the entire Islamic Republic um, as one of the most repressive regimes in the world, really. So the slogan you mentioned, Women, Life, Freedom, which goes back to the uh, movement of Kurdish women fighting the IS, uh, was combined with slogans like death to the dictator. Um, and the protests which st uh, started in the Kurdish regions um, spread very quickly uh, throughout the whole country, even in some of the most uh, conservative and religious uh, regions. We saw protests on the streets, women taking off their hijab, burning it, supported by men. Police stations have been burned down and occupied. We saw sit-ins, assemblies and strikes at universities, also from teachers. And most recently, as you said, these strikes spreading to the oil industry as well, which is a very uh, important development. And the, actually the council uh, organizing these strikes in the oil industry has stated after some of the workers were arrested now, they said in a state statement, um, and I'm quoting it now, despite uh, this, these arrests, today our colleagues gone, gone on strike and rallied at the Abadan refinery and will continue to protest and remain on the strike until our arrested colleagues are going to be released and the repressive forces remove themselves from the workplaces. So the movement is not coming to an end, but really developing further and escalating and also repression increase. Hundreds have been killed or arrested. The internet has been shut down. Very young students have been tortured and killed by the security forces. Many have just, you know, 
disappeared, uh, especially in the Kurdish regions. The regime is reacting in a very violent um, and brutal way. But despite this massive repression, the masses have lost their fear. For instance, after a massacre at some universities last week, the response was that school students uh, started to pr protest as well, kicking out uh, uh, representatives of the regime from their schools, taking off the hijab, removing uh, pictures of the religious leaders in their classrooms, etc. So it's women and youth, very young girls um, and also boys at the, at the forefront of this uh, explosive movement really risking their lives every day and also inspiring broader layers of the working class and poor who have been suffering under this regime since decades and especially in the last uh, years with the economic crisis, inflation um, and the pandemic. And the regime is really divided on the question how to react. And there are even some reports about police officers joining the protests in some cities. So it's clearly the deepest crisis uh, the regime has ever gone through and the beginning of a revolutionary process inspiring also women, men, young people, workers in the entire um, region, as you have already explained. Some of those videos I've seen, Sarah, of the like school aged girls in their school, like yelling at the I mean, I don't know who they are, if they're like politicians, religious leaders, but yelling at them to leave their school and taking their scarves and whipping them around. It's so inspirational that they like are now so unified and empowered to really fight back. I, I think it's 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 amazing and it shows the the importance of the energy of the youth and wanting to fight for, you know, a better world for themselves. Um, but this like didn't just come out of nowhere. I, I mean, you know, uh, this was a buildup of years of um, intense class struggle that's been happening in the region. We saw a revolt in 2019. And then, it, you know, through the pandemic, we saw a wave of strikes happening. So can you go into a little bit more of that background of like uh, the social situation, the economic situation, and even maybe the political factors that have led us to this point? So in the last years, the country uh, entered a stage of um, massive instability and deep crisis. The regime lost support in a massive scale, uh, even amongst its former base. Uh, as you said, we saw historic strike waves during the pandemic from oil workers, teachers, bus drivers, some very uh, radical strikes in the uh, famous uh, sugar factory called Haftape, where workers have led some of the most successful and militant uh, strike actions in the last years, because the economic um, crisis has worsened. Uh, inflation was at 45% already last year. Uh, so the last protest waves, for instance, broke out in reaction to skyrocketing uh, petrol and food supply prices, water shortage, corruption, um, over 40% of the population um, lives under the official poverty line, youth unemployment exploded in the last years and so on. So there is a whole generation um, that is not only, you know, suffering from political uh, repression, religious uh, laws and rules, but also has no real future uh, to live for facing poverty and desperation. So since uh, the president Raisi w was elected, um, it, it was clear that in this unstable situation, um, 
that uh, the regime is trying um, uh, to rely, you know, more on the most repressive and uh, hardline wings uh, of the regime, which Raisi is a symbol for uh, part of his history is the bloody massacre of 1988, when thousands of political prisoners were murdered uh, within a few months. And he was part of the committee actually, you know, administrating these executions. Also, he was responsible for several arrests and executions in the aftermath of the 2019 protest wave. So as one of the, you know, most powerful and conservative hardline uh, men in the country, Raisi was hated uh, from the from the beginning of his presidency. So these uprisings and strikes always, you know, combined political and economic demands, for instance, uh, workers, you know, uh, demanding their unpaid wages, also demanded um, that arrest, uh, arrested workers and trade unionists must be released. These struggles for a living wage, um, etc., always immediately, you know, turned political because it's clear that uh, it's the same mullahs, um, for instance, the the rev so-called revolutionary guards who oppress women, workers, minorities, repressing every opposition, um, who at the same time exploit the working class in massive scale and and profiting from that, controlling big parts of the economy and the wealth. Um, so the regime tried to suppress these uprisings mainly by uh, repression, arresting many trade unionists, for example, and workers uh, leaders over and over again, for example, very well known teachers. Um, and just before Gina's killing, um, two well known LGBTQI plus activists faced uh, a death sentence. So all of that, you know, turned into combined anger and led to this uprising now. And what we can clearly see is that the masses went through this process, um, you know, going through the massive repression also in 2019 and losing their fear even more since then. Um, and also, if you like compare the situation now with the so-called green revolution uh, or green movement, for example, in 2009, it is striking that the masses have lost um, like, like faith in the in the entire region turning against the entire regime while you know 10 or 15 years ago maybe there were still some illusions in more you know moderate uh, forces of the regime but this is completely gone um, now yeah and I think you know when we were talking about this before like we mentioned and you mentioned a little bit as well about kind of the impact that's already had on the region and obviously coming from the Middle East I also uh, look it, to it in the context of you know my memories from 2011 and uh, what was called the Arab Spring and how all of these kind of uh, revolutions and uprisings kind of spread like wildfire around the region and I was wondering what you think this kind of what's happening in Iran right now what the impact would be on the region in particular, but generally on class struggle and international relations uh, around the globe and in the region. Um, so I think that, like the Iranian regime is trying to find its place in the context of the new Cold War and um, like new imperialist tensions and, and relations. And this uprising will have a clear impact all over the world, not only in the region, it's clear that the reaction of uh, Western imperialism, for example, is much uh, softer than it could 
be like compared to their reactions in the past in these situations because they were hoping in their own interests um, for a deal uh, with Iran and the regime. At the same time, you know, powers like Russia and China are trying to build closer relations um, to the regime as well. So it's a key country, not only um, for the region because of its resources, um, of course, and geopolitical reasons. And um, uh, this rebellion um, is a threat for the ruling class everywhere. Um, if the re Iranian regime falls, um, as one of the key powers in the region, it will immediately inspire the masses again in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon. Uh, Western powers actually are also afraid that it might inspire movements in Saudi Arabia, for example, as a key partner of uh, Western governments. And that's why, uh, you know, um, uh, it's, it's very important um, also that uh, this movement is taking place in the context of global uh, attacks on women's rights, um, LGBTQI plus rights from, from the US to Hungary to Italy, rising far right forces. So in this situation for many people, I think it is an example um, of combative struggle and fight back with women at the forefront. Um, this is why the you know solidarity protests, for example, around the world have been um, uh, so massive um, and this movement is coming on top of, you know, the politicization of a whole generation fighting against uh, oppression, sexism, inequality, racism and so on. And it is an inspiration, especially for young women, but also beyond and uh, will just increase uh, and intensify the movements we have already seen in recent years around the world against gender based violence, femicide, state violence and so on. I think this is, to me, one of the most kind of interesting parts of that. Like we only just in the last episode spoke about kind of abortion rights um, and the attacks on abortion rights around the world, like you said. But generally, there's been kind of like this uproar, like a upsurge of, of attacks on women and attacks on queer people all around the globe. I mean, Toya, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, enough examples for that. It's interesting because when I've been talking to coworkers about this, I've been actually comparing it to the U.S. because, you know, there's there's so much fear mongering about the Middle East in the U.S. And so people are like, oh, yeah, that's because of Islam. And it's like, wait, don't you see what is happening right here? It's a question of bodily autonomy, whether or not. Uh, you want to wear a headscarf or not, whether or not you want to get an abortion or not. It's about control and how the system uses whatever side, whatever thing um, it's on to literally take away our right to decide what we do with our body, how our body looks, how we identify our body. You know, it's, it's, it's so interconnected, um, even though it's... You know different sides of the religious spectrum if you but you know it's also you can see like like how every kind of regime in the capitalist system immediately kind of attacks attacks these particular rights attacks women's rights attacks uh queer rights and, and and minority rights all of these particular rights are being immediately attacked when these systems uh uh, either feel strong enough to do it or feel like there's going to be struggle against them and it's 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 really i think interesting in this kind of international context to see that like the reason why this is done is because the capitalist system relies on this these kinds of oppression to go on and continue to to work and i think obviously uh like 
the 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 level of oppression of, uh, of women and queer people in Iran you can't like it, it's it's a much higher level of oppression than uh, I think either of us experienced oh yeah but like at the same time like it all comes down to the same kind of root uh, of this oppression is beneficial to the system but I wanted to kind of ask you Sarah about particularly the oppression of women and queer people in Iran like how does it manifest what does it look like and why why do you think this was the thing that sparked these uh this kind of movement yeah so as you um as you said uh, women's oppression um uh, lgbtqi plus oppression as well um as the oppression of uh, national ethnic religious minorities are key pillars um of the regime um the mandatory hijab was one of the first things um uh, the regime in- introduced when it came to power um and women resisted actually from the very first moment on 8 of march uh, 1979 international women's day women protested in masses um against these laws um and i obviously i cannot explain um uh, all of them but just to give you an idea it's very hard for example nearly impossible to get a divorce um as a woman even if you're a victim of domestic violence because women are seen as a property um of men there's a clear gender division in every public and private sphere uh, women are not allowed to dance um sing uh, in public if you're not wearing the right uh, clothes or hijab you might not only be forced to pay fees but the uh, but even be you know sentenced to flogging and even up to five years in prison um there are several examples examples of how women do not have um the same legal um state status like uh, men for example in the courts um young girls can be forced uh to uh, marriage by the age of uh, 13 there is um systematic uh, rape uh, and violence in prisons obviously homosexuality is illegal etc so all of that is key um for the regime to maintain its rule to use its uh, religious um, islamist ideology to divide and rule and obviously to uh, oppress the growing self confidence um, and um, radicalization also of women who are not willing to accept these massively backward um uh, laws uh, and rules women who were at the forefront of str- struggle in the entire region from sudan to lebanon turkey iraq and so on there was a me too wave in uh, the last years in Iran inspired by the feminist uprisings um around the world women queer people girls um in Iran through social media you know breaking the dangerous taboos about uh, rape sexual violence um and so on so this ideology which uh, the state is using um is important for them to keep women um in the homes uh, to give men the idea that women are worth less to control their bodies um and and lives to maintain the the nuclear family um as a system which is very important for the ruling class and capitalism um uh, in general so what we see now is how this uh, ideology is being undermined um by this uh, movement we cannot underestimate for example how important it is that men are joining in solidarity with women to protest against this deep seated misogyny and dress codes um already in in the last years we saw um, a massive uh, shift in consciousness especially young people turning their backs um to the religious institutions uh, and islam in general 
also how, how important that is, for example, that the slogan in Kurdish is spreading even in regions where Kurdish people um, are massively discriminated and oppressed. So um, because all these minorities, you know, are not allowed to learn their own language, to live their um, culture um, and so on. And this is why this movement um, is um, hitting um, the regime in its, uh, in its heart, you know. Yeah, and you know, I think on the other side of it, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I saw so many people who support kind of like hijab bans in Europe in particular, like in France and places like that, where this is like a, a genuine question of uh, of Muslim women uh, uh, who want to wear hijab, like using this revolution as an excuse uh, of, oh, look at how uh, great this ban is. It's, it's so feminist. And like, it's, it's just ridiculous the way that like this, like, you know, I think Toya mentioned before, like that this is all about bodily autonomy. It's about our ability to choose how we want to dress, what we want to do with our bodies and using this, these kind of, uh, 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 uprisings in Iran to kind of, uh, give uh, a justification for another ban on uh, the freedom of women is just absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It just adds to this like Islamophobic, you know, agenda of like, well, and that's yeah, like you said, that's why they uh, they they shouldn't wear the hijab. You 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 shouldn't be allowed to wear the hijab at all. But Sarah, you even speaking just about like more democratic decision making for people and like. You know, when you mentioned, you know, there's ethnic minorities in Iran who aren't allowed to learn their own language. We see this all the time all over the world. We see it in the U.S. where children, you know, aren't allowed to, um, you know, learn school in their native language. They're forced to learn English and oftentimes forget their language. And it's just this like imposition of, you know, the ruling class's idea of what the nation's culture should be you know, on everybody. Um, and it just shows the lengths that the ruling class is willing to go to keep people, um, you know, subordinate to their agenda. But I'm curious what your take is on these like cynical arguments about, um, all right, then we should just ban the hijab because look at what it's doing. Yeah, maybe just um, to add one uh, uh, point on what you said uh, before, because it's an this movement is an example um, of you know how working class unity is really uh, built you know with the slogan women life um, freedom to fight gender equal uh, for gender equality against these different forms of oppression um, and it shows that um, you know you cannot like unity is not built by you know I ignoring the burning issues of of oppression women's oppression also national oppression but actually these issues have to be in the center of you know a revolutionary movement and the working class movement to overcome divisions actually and to to build actual unity um so to on this question of um you know um islamophobia and so on i think um it's very important what you said about this movement is uh, you know a movement for a real uh, freedom of choice and it's also not about um uh, uh the mandatory hijab it's you know about uh, it's against any uh, state or uh, religious um restrictions so often actually um uh the the same way, uh, right wing uh, forces which want to introduce um laws like uh, you know bans of the hijab and so on are also 
in favor of abortion restrictions, um, for example. So there is a clear, you know, hypocrisy there. But also uh, racism and uh, racist propaganda means that if bans on hijab, for example, are introduced, this will only increase the, the isolation and discrimination of Muslim women. They will be pushed much more, you know, into the homes. They don't have full access then to, you know, jobs. So they will be pushed into much more dependencies um, and isolation um, in the families. So we have to say religion, you know, must be an issue uh, of personal uh, choice. And it's not only about Islam. We have to fight everywhere to separate uh, religion um, and the state. Um, for instance, in countries like like Austria or Germany and many more um, countries, um, the church has massive uh, influence and privilege. Um, so these ideologies have to be kicked out of education, the state, the hospitals and so on everywhere. Um, and also, you know, racist uh, laws and policies, bans on hijab, but also other measures, they always, you know, play into the hands of Islamist uh, and backward forces as well. Um, so we have to fight um, for a world where women actually, you know, have full control over their bodies, uh, what they want to wear, when they, when they want to get uh, pregnant or not, and so on, without any, you know, state or um, religious uh, regulations at all. Yeah, speaking of women having control, I mean, it is just so inspiring seeing this movement really being pushed forward by women. I heard a report today of uh, some women who aren't able par to participate, maybe going out into the streets, are participating in other ways, um, providing shelter for those who are being attacked by the police or food, um, you know, supporting their daughters and going out and struggling. And I think this is it's so important because it shows uh, the power that the working class has. It's not, you know, individuals from history that just lead the way forward. It's the working class coming together, uniting and fighting for a common goal to, you know, better humanity that really pushes us forward. Um, but we mentioned earlier in the show the um, 1979 revolution, and you talked a little bit about it yourself, Sarah. Um, so for those like myself who aren't super familiar with that situation and what happened then, um, can you talk a little bit about it? And also, you know, as socialists, why we talk about these things and why it's important that we study and learn from the past? Yes, um, sure. So I think there are many lessons, you know, which are key for revolutionary movements um, today as well, not only in Iran. Um, and um, I think you can call the revolution um, and counter-revolution of 1979 actually a, a stolen um, revolution. Um, so the, the social and economic background of the revolutionary movement at that time was a period under the old monarchy in Iran, the, the Shah regime. Uh, where inequality was growing um, and growing in a country with many resources and wealth. Um, there were always, you know, massive social tensions under the Shah regime, especially at the beginning of the 1960s. There were there were general strikes um, that were brutally um, put down with the use of the of the secret service. Um, and as a reaction to this, the Shah carried out um, a land reform, um, took action against la um, large um, landowners who were the economic base of the clergy um, and, and pushed forward the industrialization um, of the country. 
um uh which is why they the shah got into a uh, conflict with the with the religious um uh, leaders as well so the shah represented uh, an enormous concentration of wealth in the hands of the ruling elite really on a massive scale also you know the shah family itself with massive wealth um that stood in co sharp contrast to the di disastrous living uh, and working conditions um of the masses um, so uh, by the end of the boom, unemployment rose rapidly, huge slum areas developed, child labor, 18-hour workdays and so on. Um, and this is why, you know, uh, opposition um, against the regime uh, was growing and growing and the uh, revolutionary uprisings developed. So from early summer of 1977, there were more and more strikes and demonstrations um, between October 77 um, and uh, February um, 78. They were uh, there were illegal mass demonstrations initially for democratic rights. Um, there were protests by students, merchants, workers. There were mass strikes in the industry, um, uh, and the demands expanded. And people, you know, demanded democratic rights and also called for death to the Shah and death to this regime. Um, so, for example, striking oil workers started producing only for necessary uh, needs. Uh, workers um, responded to mass killings and arrests by expanding the general strikes. Um, so, um, for example, railroad uh, road workers prevented military leaders and others from traveling. Trade workers allowed only the, the import of essential goods and the masses, you know, marched behind the oil workers' demand for a change in government and for the Shah to step down. And when the army increasingly changed sides and supported the masses, the Shah actually had, um, uh, had to flee. And there was a brief attempt then to form a liberal government, with, which the masses did not uh, accept. And at that time, Khomeini turned, uh, returned from exile, one of the most important religious uh, figures in opposition to the Shah. Um, um, and during these, you know, huge uh, strike movements, a revolutionary movement, uh, uh, committees um, had been formed in many factories and elements of, you know, workers' control over production and over the distribution of goods actually developed and the question of you know taking control and management of the economy was put on the agenda in such a way that um you know the capitalists actually um left the country to a, to a large extent for fear of the revolution but nevertheless Khomeini and his followers managed to really you know turn back the clock between 79 and 1981 and to take the lead of the movement mainly uh, because of massive mistakes made by the left and, and workers and um, organizations who supported the mullahs actually. This is really interesting to hear more about um, and I think you know we, we a lot of the time get this kind of uh, reaction from people it's kind of like you have, if there's two sides you have to pick a side it doesn't matter if both sides are terrible and I feel like we are getting a lot especially from like pro-capitalist -cap commentators saying how 
terrible and awful this revolution was because uh, it kind of gave like uh, paved the way for the current Islamic uh, uh, Republic and kind of portraying the Shah as this like uh, nice uh, enlightened monarch who's uh, you know was really good for everyone and the the, the revolution uh, was like is, is like a proof of how bad like how much worse things can be than just having this nice monarch and um, obviously we are not supporting the Islamic Republic now and we are not supporting the Shah so what actually happened you mentioned there was a kind of like a, a stolen revolution what how was it stolen how was the revolution derailed and what what is kind of like our analysis of this uh, this theft of this revolution yeah so um, as, a, as we saw the revolution you know started as a working class revolution bringing down the monarchy but the, the mullahs uh, could take the lead and install their own dictatorship. Um, so, for instance, um, in um, 1978, the um, uh, uh, two-day party, the Communist Party um, and other um, communist forces left it to the Islamists to actually influence um, the mass protests politically, to expand their ideological influence, because they understood you know, the the face of um, um, Islamism as necessary before a socialist upheaval or had the idea of, you know, overthrowing the Shah first, no matter by what means and with whom, and then we will see in the future. So the party, uh, the Communist Party, for example, declared that it saw agreement between Khomeini's program and its own positions. And this support took place at a time when the government, the new government was already, you know, brutally cracking down strikes, workers committees, and especially the the national minorities and women's movements. So this support and this alliance with the mullahs was was a very big um, crime. So instead of, you know, leading um, the the Iranian working class into a struggle for power, the two day party and others remained in this, uh, you know, theory of, of stages. So none of these groups um, could offer a forward-looking path by coordinating, for example, the movement at a national level, and they didn't take up the fight against the Islamist um, forces. So um, the, th these failures uh, really ensured the strengthening of political Islam in this revolutionary period. Um, so the, the Islamists, for example, had very you know, well-organized networks at that time with over 10,000 mosques, 180,000 members, 90,000 mullahs, um, and so on. Letters and audio recordings of Khomeini were smuggled into the country and distributed during the revolutionary phase. And the and the uh, working class and poor in, interpreted the demand for an Islamic republic as a demand um, uh, for a republic of the poor, and the picture was painted uh, by the by the Islamists of an um, Islamic state in in which freedom and democracy would replace you know corrupt Western and uh, imperialist um, influences. So. Um, even before the Shah had um, to flee, important parts of the army, the secret service and the, the rest of the old state apparatus began to support Khomeini. And when he returned, um, he had already expanded his influence and immediately, um, you know, announced that he would appoint a new government um, himself. 
and the referendum was held with the question, do you agree that the, the monarchy should be replaced by an Islamic Republic? And of course, I think almost 99% agreed <laughs> with this question because nobody wanted the Shah dictatorship back, which was so linked to Western imperialism and, and exploitation as well. Uh, but that was not at all, you know, an evidence of mass support for the mullahs or something. But that referendum and the introduction of an Islamic constitution was an important step in consolidating their power. And at that time, throughout the country, workers had, as I said, took, you know, matters into, the, into their own hands, occupying the workplaces and organizing strike committees, etc. So the, um, the mullahs had to do something about that to break this movement. So within two days, uh, Khomeini declared that these committees be dissolved. Um, but he was also forced to adopt a radical tongue and an anti-imperialist anti stance because, in fact, at that time, you know, it was, in fact, a dual rule of the workers' councils and the, the central government. Um, so they were forced to, for example, to make concessions um, to the workers' movement, um, uh, like nationalization and so on. However, they were also determined to crush all the workers' organizations, uh, socialists, um, communists and so on, were, were executed and, and um, uh, re um, uh, arrested. Um, but um, um, so the, the, despite, you know, this revolutionary movement, these strikes and other actions, this aftermath um, of the revolution, the regime uh, was able to consolidate um, its power to increase repression against um, the left and the labor movement. Um, um, and so obviously there is a you know, clear lesson here about the, um, uh, how such you know, massive failures um, can lead to, uh, to these type of you know, criminal counter um, revolutions. I think, you know, obviously the, the, the point that you just made about how kind of we need to avoid and learn the lessons of uh, uh, the, the stolen uh, revolution uh, generally, I think, is really important. I do want to ask you about this uh, in just a second. But before that, you know, I think one of these like propaganda points that we keep hearing every single time there's any uprising that's like, you know, actually a threat to the government in anywhere really is that foreign uh, powers are pushing for uh, these protests and obviously in Iran it's going to be the US government and the Israeli government uh, the dictatorship in Iran is uh, consistently saying that uh, they're responsible of any kind of opposition to the regime um, and you know uh, while I personally haven't seen much in Israeli media about, uh, you know, any kind of Israeli leader uh, even talking about this positively, at least uh, from what I saw, because obviously they don't really want to show Iran as a place that uh, is uh, progressive, whether it's the people or the government, which obviously the government isn't, but the, the people are. Actually, we have seen that Biden technically gave support to the demonstrations, which I think is completely ironic and obvious to everyone. Why it's ironic, considering the fact that in his own country, uh, his uh, his government isn't able to guarantee the rights of women, even though they have a majority and they have a government. Uh, so it's clearly a glaring discrepancy there. But I was wondering uh, what what is actually the situation while the different political forces in this movement is it Israel and uh, the US that are pushing for these demos or is it a bit more complicated than that 
yeah so um uh, as you already uh, um mentioned the, like this hypocrisy of uh, these imperialist uh, powers is very you know it's very obvious and also because you know they have thrown the entire region into war and uh, destruction um and um the masses not only in iran but in all other other countries um in the region as well know exactly you know the the role of um these imperialist uh, uh different imperialist powers um so it's very clear that you know this is an explosive movement from below um very spontaneous very you know led by very very young people and so on and what's striking is that there are no um or only you know little illusions inside um inside this movement and inside the country for different um imperialist forces or in any type of you know imperialist interventions for instance the the economic um sanctions um from the uh, from last years um, have led um, to poverty and um, hunger for the masses. So it's clear that the um, uh, working class and poor do not support, you know, these these um, policies of Western, specifically U.S. imperialism, but also the, you know, um, role of, of uh, Chinese and, and um, Russian imperialism as well. But it's true that, you know, at this stage there is no clear um, uh, socialist uh, revolutionary force or organization leadership of the movement that could provide a perspective to not only you know bring down the mullahs but to overthrow the capitalist system as well which has made a small minority of, of uh, mullahs uh, super rich uh, in the country while, while the masses are starving so in this situation different political um, uh, forces try to influence um, the movement for instance the, the, the family of the old Shah, the old monarchy, um, supported by um, Western imperialism, um, are you know um, trying to? They have their, their own uh, TV channels, their their own media channels, and so on. Um, try to to um, influence the movement, and um, it's uh, very clear that they just want want to install another form of an um, uh, oppressive and backward um, regime um, and um, rule. But um, of course, there are, you know, um, uh, interests of uh, d different imperialist um, powers, which is, which is why it is so important to build an um, independent, um, you know, force of the uh, of the working class uh, with a with a socialist perspective. Thanks, Sarah. That was informative. So, I mean, yeah, we on our show, we're always talking about, uh, you know, what as socialists we call for how to move the the movement or how to push the movement forward. Um, and in the International Socialist Alternative, we have a great article um, that gets into the situation in Iran and, and what steps um, are needed to really push this from, you know, a, a pre-revolutionary scenario in into um, continuing the, the movement forward. So can you just give us a synopsis really of what um, the International Socialist Alternative is calling for for next steps for the, the fight back in Iran? Yeah, so um, the because as I said, it's so um, it is really about building an independent organization of the working class, youth and poor to make sure that the political and economic power does not fall, you know, into the hands of any sort of other undemocratic um, and repressive regime. 
it at this stage it is absolutely crucial that the working class takes the the lead of this movement these strikes in the in the oil sector now are a very important step um, forward and they need to be broadened um, um, and they also need to you know link up with the with the students movement uh, built towards a, a general strike to bring down um, the regime and also the movement in general must be coordinated and democratically organized there is a um, uh, as we talked about a rich tradition of workers committees which can be the 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 base for an alternative political and economic um, system to take over the rich resources and wealth especially of course of the oil industry um, to take it out um, of the hands of the mullahs um, and the revolutionary guards um, and to democratically plan and control the economy by um, the working class and also there is the desperate need for um, democratically organized multi-ethnic self-defense um, committees. Th this is something we saw, for example, in, in the um, revolutionary movement in Sudan, which was very important to defend the revolution against the repressive regime and to, to build these um, democratic structures in every workplace, schools, universities, neighborhoods, um, and so on. Um, so another key question, obviously, for the for the success of the movement, are breaks within um, the security forces, the army, the police. Um, the movement um, has to appeal to the, to the lower ranks um, of the police forces and uh, uh, to to refuse to fulfill orders um, aimed at uh, you know oppressing the movement appeal to you know ordinary workers in the state apparatus to refu refuse um, administrating any type of you know um, repression so it's key uh, you know to develop a program which can unite um, immediate um, demands like the the release of all political prisoners um, the, the the big big number of you know very young students that have been recently arrested um, to um, fight for democratic rights, women's rights, LGBTQL plus rights, with a with a broader, you know, revolutionary perspective for a um, um, socialist Iran, which which can be, a, you know, an example in the entire region, because this is, you know, the on, the only possible system in which these rights can be actually guaranteed. Um, and poverty, hunger, the destruction of of nature um, and resources can be ended. So. For that, um, I think the role of the uh, international solidarity movement in exile is extremely important because uh, we can use our uh, possibilities here to develop ideas, to develop a program, next steps for the movement. Um, and it's also you know, the responsibility of the trade union and workers movement internationally to organize these solidarity protests with no trust, um, no alliance, you know, with any imperialist um, force or, or bourgeois governments, not the US, not the European states, uh, not the not Russia um, or China, all of them, you know, have no real interest um, in, in the liberation of the masses, but to build a solidarity movement actually from uh, below um, uh, that takes a clear stance um, um, uh, against these powers. And for example, fight for 
uh, full rights of people uh, for people from Iran uh, living or free uh, fleeing into other countries their right um, to um, uh, to stay there to you know um, uh, to fight for example against profits that companies in other countries have made by cooperating with the regime um, to take um, this uh, wealth and um, these profits to to use it for the solidarity movement and so on so these are only some demands that the, the solidarity movement internationally uh, can fight for and we are taking you know initiatives as ISA in several countries to do so. Thank you so much Sarah I think this was really uh, kind of important especially in the context of us not knowing where this movement is heading and it's really exciting to see where it's going so it was really interesting to hear first of all what's happening now but also the, the historical context of uh, the movement in Iran and I want to encourage everyone to first of all join ISA if you want to support and if you agree with what we're saying but also there's a new uh, uh, Instagram page for Rose International uh, which is kind of like the socialist feminist uh, wing of uh, our movement um, in Farsi so go and follow that and thank you so much Sarah for uh, coming and speaking to us today. Thanks so much Toya and Yara thank you. <laughs> What a great episode that was. I'm glad we got to meet Sarah, first time guest. Hopefully we can have her on again real soon, um, maybe with some updates about the situation uh, that's going on in Iran. So now we're to the end of our show. But before we end, we're going to do the shout out of the week. Yara, will you let us know what we're shouting out this week? Yeah, so actually the shout out of this week, this week is a little bit of a teaser for our next episode, which is going to be in a couple of weeks. Uh, and it's going to uh, be about, you know, the, the rise of the far right um, is, uh, and specifically about uh, uh, the elections in Brazil and in Italy where we are seeing kind of like uh, very strong far right uh, opposition and also very strong uh, far right victories. So it's going to be a really interesting episode. But this uh, week's shout out is going to be to uh, our campaign in Italy for... Uh, uh, abortion rights obviously in Italy uh, uh, there's been an election last month that uh, the Brothers of Italy uh, far-right group uh, have uh, won and they're already in a, in a region uh, where they have control already took away abortion rights and uh, um, and now there's a, a huge threat about it uh, across uh, uh, across the country so uh, we launched a campaign to uh, support abortion rights and you can actually see it in our newly launched uh, 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 Instagram page which uh, you can check out at uh, ASI underscore Italia. Uh, go and uh, follow them and also that would be great preparation for uh, our next episode. So the shout of the week uh, is this and obviously we are in uh, solidarity with everyone in Italy who is now uh, going to have to fight against uh, this new horrible government and we are going to talk about this more uh, next time. So see you then. This is World to Win. Every Sunday we broadcast with speakers from across the globe, bringing you the latest news and analysis on the fast-moving global events from a socialist perspective. Subscribe to the International Socialist Alternatives YouTube page and click the bell to get notified when we go live for a new episode. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram because there's a lot to do and we have a world to win. When they fight! When they fight! When they fight! Solidarity!